Well, I don't know about you guys, but I am just extra happy today. I was extra happy at the end of last Sunday, Sunday night specifically, because at the end of Sunday, I was able to celebrate because the Philadelphia Eagles, my team, the Philadelphia Eagles, I have been a lifelong, okay, I lied. I have been a month-long fan of the Philadelphia Eagles. I am so excited that they were able to defeat the evil that is the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. So thank you, Jesus, for that. I know we just prayed a moment ago, but would you join me one more time? Let us pray a powerful prayer. Holy Spirit, have your way. Amen. We have been, or we just started last week. Pastor Jeff introduced our, ser- our series, the book of Mark. We have been talking about the servant king, and this morning I want to utilize as a topic what the servant offers you. What the servant offers you. Now, I, I must do this because I see some new faces. You never, may have never heard me speak before. I have a mother. She is from Guyana. My father is from Jamaica. Growing up, they still had their accents when, they, when I was growing up. So I heard their, their accents. And so part of me, when I get really excited, I sort of mimic my mom's Guyanese accent. It, it happens when I get really excited, something just pops out at me, I happen to end up speaking like my mom. Just want to warn you, fair warning, the Lord's still working on me. We're in the book of, of, uh, of Mark chapter 2 this morning. And uh, you can follow along. The notes will be behind me. Also, if you have the Bible app, if some of you guys are about the Bible app, if you go into the events tab and you search Stouffville Pentecostal Church, the notes will be there for you as well. So we have well taken care of you today. Someone said amen. Here we are, Mark chapter 2. So we find ourselves here in, in this chapter. And let me read it for you. Whoops, went too fast. When, oh, yeah, I'm going to skip ahead. Jesus uh, is in a room. He's at home. He's back home, and he's, and he's teaching. And some friends, they brought a paralyzed man to him. Watch this. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the, mat, the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Jesus has come back home. He's back in Capernaum, and there are Facebook posts that Jesus is home, and CNN was telling us that Jesus is back, and people were Snapchatting, Jesus is home. It had gone viral that Jesus had come home, and you have to understand that the home that they were in, it's not like, you know, our homes. It's not that five-bedroom, two-bathroom with a master ensuite home that goes for about 1.5 million. It's not, it wasn't one of those. It was probably the size of I would, you know, my office or Pastor Jeff's office. It wasn't big. It wasn't fancy. There, the roof would have been made out of thatch, which is earth material and some straw and palm leaves just sort of mushed together just to give a, a roof, and it would, be, it would be good, and it would survive the rain. And And there would be a staircase leading on the outside leading to the roof. Now, when I read this story, I have to sort of just think to myself. I put myself in Jesus' shoes for a second there. Imagine we are just having a good old conversation. Jesus, I'm teaching, and, you know, the word is being preached, and the room is packed. Everybody's all squished together. And and Jesus is teaching, and 
dust and palm leaves just start falling in front of your face. I would be like, yo, Moadis, what is going on? What is happening? And, and Jesus looks up and he sees this happening. He looks out into the crowd and then he looks down again. And there is this man right in front of him, paralyzed. The four men, they went to great lengths to get their friend in front of Jesus. We, we have to admire the faith that they had in Jesus' power. When they got to the house, they didn't say, well, it's too busy. There's too many people. We'll just pray for him and take him back home. It, it took great creativity. It took great determination. It took unity. It took teamwork to get this man in front of Jesus. Hmm, unity, creativity, teamwork. Hmm, next Saturday morning at 9 o'clock at the new site, we'll need some unity, some teamwork. Join us, 9 o'clock. That is what the church is about, unity, creativity, teamwork. They got together and they did something unusual. Something risky, dare I say, just to see their friend get healed. They had that faith. Now, as I was journeying through this chapter, there are so many things that just sort of popped out at me. And I could really preach for about three hours this morning. However, I'm not going to, unless you want me to. No? Okay. We're hearing more no's than yeses today. I really was expecting a few people to say amen, but that's okay. I, I didn't, it, it didn't work. Okay, I thought, all right. All right. All right. Mark gives us so much. It gives us so much about who Jesus is, the opposition that he faced, and what he came to do. So this morning, I'm only going to pull out three things. Only three things. What Jesus does first is he goes immediately to this man's problem. Now, I don't want to get into the debate about Sin being, or sickness being caused by sin in this man's case. However, before Adam and Eve ate the fruit, everything was perfect, everything was whole, everything was the way God made it. After they ate the fruit, sickness and sin, death entered the world. So all sickness, all sin comes from the beginning. Now, Jesus goes immediately to this man's problem. It wasn't his physical sickness. It was his spiritual sickness. It was his spiritual sickness. See, Jesus addressed the more important issue in front of him that morning. The man may have been paralyzed physically, but spiritually he was paralyzed as well. And Jesus does the harder miracle, or what seems to be the harder miracle to those in attendance. Forgiveness is the greater miracle as well. Forgiveness, it, it, it meets the greatest need. It, it costs the most. It brings the greatest blessing, and it has the most lasting results. So Jesus does this, and when he does this, there, there are some of the teachers of religious law. Let me read for you. But some of the teachers of the religious law who are sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Oh, little did they know. 
Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. You'll notice that the Pharisees, and this will come up through Mark's gospel, you'll notice that the Pharisees, they always seem to care about keeping things in line with the law, which is what they were supposed to do. They were guardians of the religious order. But they couldn't see beyond the rules. They couldn't see beyond the, the, the law that was written by Moses. They couldn't see beyond that to see what Jesus came to do. They couldn't see Jesus for who he really was. They didn't have open minds. They didn't have open hearts. They couldn't see that Jesus was meeting the needs, the needs of the lost and the broken. Jesus came for those who were sick. He did not come to overthrow the Romans as a conquering king but he came as a lowly servant. That is why our series is called The Servant King, because he serves both roles. One, he shows immediately, but the other, he'll show eventually that he is the king. Servanthood, Jesus came with, but he had a royal purpose. And the Pharisees, they missed it because their inability to look beyond themselves Church, let, let us not fall into that inability to look beyond ourselves to see what Jesus is doing around us. Let us not miss what Jesus could potentially do through us. It's funny, because the Bible says very clearly the teachers of the religious law were sitting there thinking to themselves. But Jesus answered them out loud. And they still couldn't recognize that Jesus was God. Isn't that amazing? Jesus answered them out loud, but they didn't see that. This next exchange, it says, Jesus, uh, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I want to sort of take a little bit of a slight detour, a little bit. Because this is a very important part. Because Jesus will refer to himself as the Son of Man a few times in the Gospel. Uh, Fourteen times, to be exact. He'll use this term, Son of Man. And it's a reference to three things. Jesus is using this term uh, in three ways. The first way is that it's a substitute for the personal pronoun, I. Right? If you read Son of Man, you can put the word I in there. And Jesus is referring to himself. The second is a reference to his role as the servant. Jesus came to serve. And so when he says son of man, sometimes he will use it in reference to his role as servant. And the third is he will use it as a reference to the judge who will come at the end of the age. Three times, three three potential meanings for that term, son of man, but you'll see it more and more through Mark's gospel, so I felt it was very important that I mention it because it happened to fall in my chapter. So I was like, oh, I should make sure that everybody knows. 
trying to be a good student. So. Thank, thank you, Pastor Jeff. Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. And when he says son of man, he comes to forgive sins. He would heal the paralytic man as we, as we read. He heals him of his physical sickness. He gives him three commands. Rise up. Take your mat. Walk. Rise up. Take your mat. Walk. See, Jesus knew that sin was like a sickness, and the only way to restore that health was to offer forgiveness. The only way to restore that help was to offer forgiveness. So this morning, my first point is, the servant offers you, he offers you forgiveness. The servant offered the people of that time, he offered them forgiveness. It was a new concept to them. They didn't know about this. Jesus had to forgive, had the power to forgive sins. He, he had the ability to, to heal. And who else would Jesus want walking with him? He didn't want the Pharisees walking with him. They were too stuck up. You know who Jesus wanted? He wanted the sinners. He wanted the broken. He wanted the people who had faith in him to walk with him. And if I, I I'll be honest, I'm a bit of a sinner. So sometimes I'm a little broken. Sometimes I make mistakes, but that's who Jesus wants. I don't know if I'm the only one. If you're one of those, that's okay. You don't don't need you to say it out loud. But Jesus is looking for those people. Jesus wants you. He wants the person who, who curses sometimes when he gets mad because Jesus is looking to work through you so that he can help you to overcome that. He offers forgiveness. I gotta keep going though, because I got I got a lot of stuff to cover. So we find Jesus after this. He, he's, leave, he's left that little scene, and Mark just, as Pastor Jeff said last week, it's just, bam, next scene. Mark doesn't have time to play around. There's no transitional statement. There's no fade in and then fade out, or fade out and then fade in. Nope, it's on to the next one. So Mark 2, 13 to 16 says this, Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. A strong faith. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There are many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. See what I just said? That's who Jesus wanted. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples... Why does he eat with such scum? Why does he eat with such scum? You have to know a little about Levi. Levi is Matthew, the writer of the Gospel, Matthew. In those days, people had two names. Uh, Levi probably was his original name. And then if you read Matthew, Jesus gives him a new name. Gives him the name Matthew, which I believe means gift of God. I believe it is. I'm going to say I'm right. Someone, I know somebody will correct me later if I'm wrong. Uh, and Levi, he was a tax collector, but he was Jewish, and he worked for the Roman Empire. And the Romans were oppressive to the Jews. They, they 
they just really just stole from the Jews. They took from the Jews. And a tax collector working for the Romans would extort, would extort money for the Romans from fellow Jews. That would be like, that'd be like me going up to Gary or, or somebody and just being like, yo, buddy, listen, I know we're, we're family and all, but I need an extra $2 for protection. Right? If I were going to be, you know, just like that. Uh, unnecessarily taking more money than he needed to take. But that's what tax collectors did in those days. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Don't go there. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say it. It was a great job. It was a lucrative job. He made millions. He was on the sunshine list every year. But he was a disgrace to his community. He was a disgrace to his family. He was an outcast in the Jewish society. He probably couldn't go to the temple and worship. He couldn't do any of that stuff. But Jesus extends an invitation to him. Leave all your money behind. Leave all of your, your, your shame behind and follow me. And Levi takes him up, Matthew takes him up on that offer and, and follows Jesus. And Jesus gets invited to, to a, a party, a dinner, a fellowship. And in those days, the, the table was a very important thing. You didn't just invite anybody to your table. Hospitality was huge. If I say to Jordan, Jordan, come to my house. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to make sure you are safe. Isn't it crazy that a Pharisee didn't do that? But a sinner and quote-unquote scum did? Invited Jesus to his home? So in this next bit of scripture, uh, in your book, you'll, you'll, in your Bible, you'll notice that Jesus will, will use three things uh, to compare himself to. Three things to compare himself to. The first is a physician. The first is a physician. In, in verse 17, he says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Anybody ever just go to the doctor when everything's feeling good and just sit in the waiting room for like four hours? And it's like, hey, doc, I'm just... Just here to see you. No, we all have busy lives. Ain't nobody got time for that. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. How do you know you are a sinner? Well, when you get in the presence of Jesus, when you get in the presence of God, you automatically know, listen, I think uh, something's wrong in here, and I need forgiveness. And when Levi got into the presence, when Jesus got into Levi's presence, Jesus came up to Levi, Levi instinctively sort of knew, listen, I'm going to follow this guy. There's something about him. There's a spirit on him. I'm going to follow him. You see, uh, the Pharisees, uh, they, they were self-righteous. They were too self-righteous to accept uh, the diagnosis. They didn't think that this physician was the right physician. You ever go to the wrong doctor? That sometimes sucks. But the Pharisees didn't know any better. The Pharisees didn't know any better. Jesus came as a great doctor because he has the cure to all that ails us. Jesus' cure is not a weak cure. It's not like when you get the flu shot and then you get the flu the next day. No. Jesus' cure heals all. Jesus' cure heals all. There are many cures in our world today. Many cures that people use. But this cure, 
is supreme above them all. Enlightenment can be a cure. Reincarnation is a cure. But none of those cures are good enough. There's only one cure that makes you a new creation, and his name is... Guys, you guys are a little quiet there. I heard three people, Steve, Pastor Jeff, and Helen. Those are the only people I heard. I'm, there's only one cure. You know, I'm going to have to rewind. I'm going to rewind a little. There is only one cure that makes you a new creation, and his name is... Jesus. Yeah, there we go. There you, go. you guys are waking up. The, the second comparison that Jesus uses is he uses the comparison of a groom. Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. At my wedding... Jamie and I had a lot of food. I would have been rightfully upset if the people we invited didn't eat that food. All right? Because that was good food, and we paid a lot of money for it. You ever been to a wedding and nobody eats? Does that make sense? I was at, I was at a reception last week. The food was amazing. There was no way I was not going to eat. But the Pharisees, they, they, they couldn't get it. Why? When the bridegroom is here, would the people not celebrate? They couldn't understand why Jesus was sitting with these people. You see, the first question that they ask him in verse 17, it had to do with the people Jesus chose to be with. In verse 18, they're questioning Jesus' conduct with these people. Why does Jesus have to have a good time with these, those people? Jesus hung out with kids. He went to social gatherings. He, he went to weddings. His first miracle was turning water into wine. Jesus was here to bring gladness, not sadness. The Pharisees wanted to keep people attached to the law, but Jesus said, I'm here to bring good news. The legalism the Pharisees tried to hang people, hang people on or to try to keep people under were holding them down. They were holding people down. It was more of a, a, of a millstone. The joy of serving a good God. You look back at what God had done for the Israelite people. Why would you not be happy? He's rescued them from slavery time and time again. But the Pharisees kept just dragging them down with the law. What Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is that the groom has come to unite with his bride. The groom had come to unite with his bride. And while Jesus is here, they're going to eat. They're going to have fun, not fast. You only fast when you're in mourning at that time. Fasting really it was associated with mourning. It was, it was associated with a somber thing. Jesus is, is saying, listen, I'm here. Why fast when we could be celebratory? Jesus was here to heal. He was here to restore the Pharisees couldn't see that, like I said before. Those who are married, united with Christ, it's a wedding feast. Here is Jesus inviting people to this wedding, inviting people to this time. Not to watch. When we go to a wedding, we watch. But Jesus is inviting them to participate. Say, I do, to Jesus. Say, yes, to his forgiveness. Say, yes what Jesus is looking to do. Say yes to believing in Jesus as the Savior. The last thing that Jesus compares himself to is in 21 to 22. 
And Jesus says this, besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Jesus utilizes another, another illustration for the Pharisees. He wants to teach them lessons about, about what he's doing. He came to save sinners. He came to bring happiness and not mourning. And he's here to introduce the old. The, sorry. He's here to introduce the new and throw out the old. Now, when I say that, let me explain. The law that Jesus, or the law that Moses had written down and given to the people, that was good. That, that was good for the time. And, and Jesus came, he fulfilled that law. If you read the, the Old Testament, I, I had a, an older preacher sort of just reveal this to me. If you read the Old Testament, everything points towards Jesus. The laws point towards Jesus. Who could uphold all those laws? The writer of the laws could uphold those laws. The Old Testament points toward Jesus, and, and Jesus is here, and he's saying, listen, I'm replacing all of this with myself. Now, the Pharisees, they probably sort of like some of what Jesus was saying, and this is why Jesus says this very specifically. Because they probably had thoughts of grandeur of, oh, okay, well, Jesus, you're taking care of the poor and you're taking care of the sick. Oh, okay, we can, can we add that to what we're doing? And Jesus is like, nah, buddy. That na it. I told you what happened. Sorry. Jesus made it very clear that I am here to establish something new. If we patch up the, new, the old with the new, it's not going to work. He's making a point here to establish a new covenant. And what he's establishing this new covenant with is going to be his blood. He came to do a new thing. There would be no compromise. There would be no working together. There would be no, let's take the best ideas from, from everything and put them together and come up with this one super religion. Nobody. Jesus came to reach out to those who were broken, those who needed a doctor, those who needed a groom, and those who need to be reconciled to their creator. Salvation is not patching something onto your life. Salvation is not that. Salvation, when you, when you accept Christ, it's a new robe. I believe it's Isaiah 61, verse 10, 11. Someone will tell me. When salvation is like a new robe of righteousness. That's what Jesus came to offer. He came to offer a new robe of righteousness. Jesus came to offer all people kind. Sorry, guys. Jesus came to offer all mankind the chance to be a part of a new thing. Jesus came so that, so that the people could be offered something new. <laughs> I'm surprised someone didn't leave. Please don't leave, though. How tragic is it when people... <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Sorry, listen. I need to take a break. I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't use that terrible joke. Ha, get it? Because it was a bad joke to begin with. Okay. A theologian, he wrote this. He writes, how tragic is it when people hold on to the old and dead religious tradition 
and ideals when they could take hold of a new living spiritual Amen. truth. This is what Jesus came with. He came with a new spiritual truth. The freshness with which God wants to move. Imagine what it would have been like if the Pharisees had grabbed hold of what Jesus was giving, what Jesus was offering, instead of opposing at every turn that they could. Imagine what would have been like for Jesus. It would have made some of his times much easier, but we learn lessons because of the trials that Jesus had to go through. You see, the servant also offers fulfillment. Like I said a few moments ago, the Old Testament points towards Jesus. All of the promises in the Old Testament point towards Jesus. For all the promises of God find their yes and in him, in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. See, because God knows, God knew that the people needed a physician. He knew that they needed a groom, and he knew that the old was not going to work. It had to be something new. The servant offers fulfillment. See, the, the Pharisees were fo so focused on all the promises that they missed out on the fulfillment of the promise. They missed out on the fulfillment of the promise. Jesus came to fulfill the promise in Genesis when, when God said to, to the serpent that one is coming to bruise your head. Jesus fulfilled the promise where he said, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. He fulfills those promises every day. And I don't know about you, but I know that for myself, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. When I'm going through a dark time, when I'm feeling depressed, when I'm feeling alone, I know I'm not alone because there is a great Savior who will never leave us or forsake us. I, when I feel like I'm not doing a good enough job, when I feel like I suck, I know that's not true because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The servant offers fulfillment. Now you would think that these interactions with the Pharisees, that they would have recognized who Jesus is, they would have understood who Jesus was, they would have understood that he forgives and he fulfills. But they didn't. But they didn't. And it's strange. Mark takes us to the Sabbath and says this, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save a life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Jesus is on the Sabbath again. The holy day. The Pharisees had taken issue with the fact that the disciples earlier had picked grains of cotton or wheat, rolled it in their hands, and ate it. 
It was the Sabbath. You weren't supposed to work. You weren't supposed to do nothing. Supposed to sit back on the couch at one o'clock, turn on the afternoon football game, watch that football game. At four o'clock, watch the four o'clock game. At eight o'clock, watch the eight o'clock game. You weren't supposed to do no work on the Sabbath. You weren't supposed to do anything. Or, fine for you Leaf fans, watch the Leafs game. Montreal's still better. Just not this year. <laughs> Just not this year. So when Jesus didn't correct the disciples, they made a fuss. Jesus is like, all right, well, you're going to make a fuss about that? Watch this. Jesus goes into, goes into, the, into the synagogue. And everybody's in the synagogue. It's the Sabbath. Jesus goes in, and he makes a deliberate choice. Because it says, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working. Jesus knew that they were watching him. He's God. He knows everything. He knew they were watching him. He probably could have waited till Monday or the next day. But he didn't, because this healing had a purpose. This healing was a very specific. You see, the Pharisees had a purpose. Their purpose was to test Jesus, but Jesus had a purpose. His purpose was to silence the Pharisees. Jesus asks them a very specific question. And he knows that they have no answer for him. What day is, what, what is the Sabbath for? Does the law permit good deeds? Or is it a day for just doing evil? And, and the Pharisees couldn't answer that question. They had no response to that question. And Jesus, however, because he's Jesus, he has a response. And it, it's also really sad that they're, they're hardened hearts. Their hardened hearts, their hearts are so hard. It's sad in Jesus. In some translations, it, it says it angers Jesus. And when I read that, I thought to myself, here is Jesus, full of compassion, full of mercy, full of love for this man. And the Pharisees, their hearts were hard to the point where it saddened and angered Jesus. I thought to myself, Pastor Stefan, I don't actually call myself Pastor Stefan. I said to myself, Stefan, do I sadden God? Do I anger God? Because sometimes I have a lack of compassion for those who need Jesus more than I have, than I need him. For those who are broken. I had a friend of mine who's a worship leader. He told me, he asked, he told me, told me this very interesting thing. He said to me, Stefan, we sing songs on Sunday morning. Sing some of your favorite songs. But if you die tomorrow, I know you're going to heaven. But what about that person who's here for the first time? If they die tomorrow, where are they going? What about that person who doesn't know Jesus? Can I see beyond myself to look at those who are broken and need Jesus more? Because the Pharisees couldn't. They couldn't see that at all. 
They couldn't, they couldn't grasp that. He's trying to make the Pharisees see the error in how they've looked at the scriptures, how they've interpreted the law, how they've sort of just made this a millstone. But they can't see it. The Sabbath was made for us. It was made for us. We were supposed to rest, relax. It wasn't supposed to be this law-keeping thing. Could you imagine if I followed Kyle every Sunday when he left church just to make sure he was keeping the Sabbath? Wouldn't I look like a clown? Sort of just like two cars back. Can't, can't let him see me. I'm going to be right behind him. <laughs> Can you imagine that? No, because that's nonsense. God rested. We rest. It's not a millstone. We're not supposed to hold that over people. The law was not meant to hold over people. See, Jesus saw beyond the rule breaking, and he got to the issue again. He got to the man's heart. He got to the physical issue. And I have no doubt that Jesus probably took this man after he left, and this man probably was like, yo, you know what? I believe in you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you through. I believe that everybody who met Jesus had faith in him. How could you not? We'll see when we get to heaven, though. Can't guarantee anything. But I'm, I'm like, positive. See, because when Jesus came, he came to offer freedom. Freedom from the burden of the law. Freedom from sin. Freedom from rules. Freedom from your past. Freedom from the chains that hold you down. Jesus, the servant, offers freedom. John 8.36 says, if the Son sets you free, you are, well, it says truly free up there. But free indeed is also exactly correct. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean in 2018? Well, listen. Jesus still offers forgiveness. He still offers to remove our sin and make us whole. He still offers to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He's still offering fulfillment. He's still offering to fulfill the promises that God has made. He's still offering the promises that he's made to you. Now, I don't know what promises God has made to you this morning. But I can believe that if God made a promise, it will be fulfilled by Jesus. If God made a promise, it will be fulfilled by Jesus. And he's still offering freedom. He's still offering freedom. We're not bound to rules and unhealthy customs. We're not bound to rules and unhealthy customs because freedom comes through Christ. We can experience what Jesus is offering. But you know what's also very interesting? You, you become a Christian, there's forgiveness. You start to read your Bible, you see the promises, and you realize, wow, Jesus fulfills all the promises. And then you realize, I can be free of my past, and I can be free of my mistakes. This is the servant king. This is the one who came to serve, yet had a divine purpose. I don't know about you this morning, 
I don't know if you're accepting forgiveness, if you're accepting fulfillment or freedom, but I know I have a hard part accepting freedom. I have a hard part letting go of my past, letting go of mistakes. I'm probably my biggest critic, but it's hard sometimes to let go of what you've said or what you've done. But there's freedom in Jesus. There's freedom in Christ. There's freedom in the cross. Because the blood flowed, we are free. And who the sun sets free is free indeed. 